I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beerpai people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Hi and welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast, where we have collaborative conversations, cross-pollinate and connect, as we span our wings across topics such as feminine wisdom, womb wisdom, herbal plant medicine, natural fertility awareness, postpartum care, sacred sisterhood, sacred motherhood, women's circles and deep connectedness. If you're here, I believe you too are on a journey to reclaim and revitalise ancient feminine wisdom in a modern context. Not only for ourselves now, but for future generations to come. Thank you so much for being here. Hi everyone, welcome to another Pollination Mamas podcast. Today I'm doing something a little bit different that I've been dreaming up for a little while called Doula Chat. So I've got a guest doula here, a very special friend of mine, um, doula buddy, Rachel Gill from Life After Birth. So my idea is that I'm going to periodically have different doulas on and we're going to talk about doula life, why, how we came to be doulas, why we came to be doulas, what type of doula and what we hope we're going to offer the world with um, our doula services. So Rachel Gill from Life After Birth, as I said, is a yoga teacher of at least seven years, postpartum doula, dynamo doula in training, mother of two, partner, lover, writer and new roller derby enthusiast. So Rachel and I met because we did the same training through newborn mothers to become postpartum doulas. And then not long into the training, we realized that we lived really nearby, like less than half an hour away, which is amazing. So we started to connect not long after, or just before and not long after Rachel had her youngest child. And we've since just become doula buddy friends and I'm so stoked and happy and blessed to have such a beautiful person, friend and someone I can share this passion with and really excited to have you on here to chat. It's strange being on here, <laughs> not in each other's living room, lounge rooms, but um, we've got the computer between us today. So thanks for coming on, Rachel. Thanks for having me and thanks for such a beautiful introduction. <laughs> No worries, it's easy. <laughs> Amazing. Like I think about it and just how we met on the internet and we live so close and where we are is quite, re it's a regional area. So it's it's really, is the right word serendipitous? I guess that we're where we are because, you know, what are the odds of that? Totally serendipitous. Yeah, yeah so to put that into context for people listening, we don't live in a main city like Sydney or Melbourne where there's millions of people and you're like, oh, yeah, you live in the same city. We live in a tiny regional area. I think there's oh, between twenty and 40,000 people in my region and now Rachel's moved a little bit further. There's a bit more. Um, but, yeah, tiny little regional area where we were when we were very close yeah. in proximity. So totally serendipitous. It's amazing. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> and we're back really on the cool. internet now. Yeah. <laughs> We've come full circle today. And it was great. So when I was doing your intro, I didn't have to do all the research that I usually do for people and look yeah, at the files. That's true. <laughs> I thought, oh, I can just, this one's going to roll off the tongue. <laughs> so, um, like I said, Rachel is postpartum, you're a postpartum doula. Um, yes. But you're also a dynamo doula in training. But can you just share with everyone a little bit about who you are? Um, where you've come from, where you've been and how you kind of got to this point to become a doula. Cool. Yes, I can do that. So I am a mother of two and my first postpartum experience was what led me to doula work in the first place. So uh, I won't go into like the births or anything, but with um, my first son's birth, it didn't go how we had planned. And I ended up having an emergency section and then recovering from that was an experience in itself. <laughs> uh, so that was a point in time where I thought like, I remember sitting in the house and I couldn't understand why I was in a house on my own with a baby, with no one. I just expected people to come around and visit 
or bring over meals or, you know, do the stuff that I would do for people when they'd have a, had a baby. And that wasn't happening. I mean, I was in a new place. I didn't know many people. I didn't have any family close by. Um, so the internet became my community, like it became my escape. And it was when I was um, at home having had my first son that I came across doula work or postpartum doula work. So I came across Julia Jones, who is who we trained with um, through newborn mothers. And I completed that training when I was pregnant with my second son because I, I didn't want to have the same postpartum the second time around. I wanted to, um, even though I was, again, I'd moved to a new place, <laughs> didn't really know many people, I thought I could set myself up for a better experience with some background knowledge of what a postpartum doula does. And then I, at that time, which I now realise was so naive, thought I could doula myself, <laughs> which, you know, you know, it doesn't work like that. Um, but anyway, I did my training, um, had Tobias, my second son, and my postpartum experience was better, but it still wasn't ideal. Um, yeah, it was still it was still really good. It was better than the first time, but it wasn't the ideal postpartum experience. And I wish I had have had a, like a postpartum doula for the full six weeks. I wish I had have done that, and I I didn't. But you know, we, you work with what you've got. <laughs> and um, it's only been in the last oh how long? When did I start? It was this year anyway, I can't remember the exact date that I signed up for Angela Gallo's Dynamo Doula training to expand my services from postpartum doula work to include birth as well. So I'm on call for my first birth at the moment, which is very exciting. So very exciting. Yeah, it's so exciting. And I'm so I'm immune to all that side of things, but um yeah, sorry, sorry if I've strayed off course. No, uh, it's totally on track. So you're also a yoga teacher. Yes. And you completed your training about seven or eight years ago. Is that right? Um, it would be, what year are we in? 2019. <laughs> so, yeah, 2012, I finished my training. Seven years ago. So, yeah, it was a while ago now. And I'm, I've had a break from teaching while I was, you know, having my kids and everything. So now we're back to starting up classes next week from home, actually, from my home studio. So, Home studio also meaning backyard. <laughs> <laughs> a really gorgeous backyard, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When, I, when I put up um, some posts about it, I kind of didn't want to, the way I worded it, backyard yoga session sounds um, quite interesting. But, yeah, I guarantee you it's, it's, a, it's a nice experience out there. <laughs> yeah, it's gorgeous. I think it's a fantastic idea people are out, you're breathing the air outside. It's a totally different feeling. Yeah. Like the nervous system just responds in a different way when you're not inside. And, totally. Um, yeah, if it totally. rains, then you just keep doing yoga or come inside. <laughs> yeah. And the bonus too is that I wanted to make my classes accessible for parents as well. And, you know, a lot of studios you can't, well, most studios you can't take your kids with you. And that seems to be a barrier with a lot of things for new parents in that you can go to a mum and baby class but then as soon as your baby's on the move, you're not really, there's no space for you there. So with the classes being at home, it kind of gives parents space to bring their kids along if they want to. The kids can participate if they're old enough or want to participate or they can just hang out in the backyard and play with toys, play with each other and parents do yoga. So I was trying to bring that community aspect into the yoga space. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed that out because... Yeah, you're right. It's such a gap. It can be a real barrier to going to yoga once your kids are moving because mm. you think, oh, I've got to find someone, drop them off, go pick them up. Um, and those little things can feel like a lot. So the fact that, yeah, you've got a nice enclosed yard, you've got to see the kids and, um, and still do yoga and, and be comfortable with that distraction of having to get up if the parent needs to and grab a bath yeah. or change a nappy or whatever, just rolling with that flow of parenthood. Exactly. I like to refer to it. I think you've heard me say before the yoga of parenthood. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about like you've got to stop and start. You can't just you know have a silent day at home. Yeah. That just doesn't happen when you've got kids. So it's just being able to kind of go with the moment and be okay with whatever's happening at any point, which is yeah. like that's a struggle in itself. 
Yeah, and such a great practice. And you'll be so good at that because you do it every day. So just being able to keep going and facilitate that for people to come and go without getting annoyed or frustrated, just knowing that that's part of the package. Yeah. That's exciting. Thank you. So I would love to chat with you. Well, first of all, I should probably share with people, I don't think I ever, I'll have a little bit in the podcast actually, why I became a doula also. Um, so I had just had my second when I started the training and I was still sitting uh, in front of the laptop breastfeeding a lot um, with an under one-year-old doing the training and it was similar to you. So I, well, I had a, an okay postpartum with my first because I was living with my partner's parents and I was supported physically in a lot of ways, but I still felt emotionally isolated. Like everyone I was living with was busy and working and there's still a lot of alone time. And I had a cesarean, so it was a big adjustment physically and hormonally and I just didn't have that close emotional support of other mothers so I had my mother-in-law who'd been a mother but people that were mothers now and there's something different about that so I guess traditionally that would have been our sisters and maybe some of our aunties and our cousins that was there together and I found it hard to really reach out and I did have a few really good friends that came to see me but we spread out a bit um, and then with my second, I wasn't living there anymore and I was back home. Oh, we had our own place and, and I had a toddler in tow. And then I felt really isolated <laughs> and I had already started my self-study into postpartum care and thought similar to you that I could somewhat do myself. So I read the first 40 days and I had meals made and herbs and things like that. And I thought, oh, great, I'm just going to, you know, tuck in and stay home for four weeks or something and it'll be a cosy little nest and it'll be wonderful and, and I'll just, like, look after myself. And partner went back to work after a week or so of being home and reality kicked in and realised you just can't. <laughs> and trying to facilitate a toddler's needs as well as the young babies was really tricky and staying home a lot on your own is really isolating and boring. So I left the house. I did stay for a little while. I think I left the house after two or three weeks. Um, and again, struggling with like physical recovery. And that's when I went, okay, no, <laughs> this, there's got to be more to this. I really want to work with women. Actually, when I read the first 40 days, I was already thinking I want to work with women. I love food. I love herbs. Um, how can I do this? And then I started looking into what's out there and that's when I discovered the postpartum training so I'd love to hear from you about what why you think the world needs doulas in replace as we talk about you know it takes a village um but we need to look at that in a modern context and while mm -hmm. some people might have a really established network of friends and families how doulas can still help but also for people that don't um how doulas can play an important role Oh, well, I, I think I just, I'm just trying to figure out where to start. Cause that's I know a big, it's so big. It's a big question. <laughs> so often I, I feel for the family involved. So the partner, father, grandparents, that they also need a postpartum and while mostly the postpartum care is for the mother because the mother's doing well has been through pregnancy and birth which is huge and then is often doing a lot of the postpartum care that you sort of need someone for, to facilitate that space so that family can also have a postpartum in that adjustment mm -hmm. and doors can offer a really amazing emotional support aspect as well as practical Someone that's yeah. just a little bit outside. Like, for example, I was talking to a young mum who's going to come to my mum's group um, and she said, oh, my mother-in-law was um, concerned about this thing with Barb, but what do you think? So just someone outside that you can yeah. bounce off without yeah. all those little family dynamics. <laughs> I think too, with, with everything that happens in life, I feel like sometimes it's good to have someone that is an outsider that doesn't have all the emotions attached and there's no history there that kind of gets in the way or kind of taints what they say. Does that make any sense? 
Absolutely. So especially when you've had a baby and you're very vulnerable anyway, as an individual, as the person who's had the baby and as a family unit, you don't need the extra pressure of um, extended family dynamics. Is that a nice way to say that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, sometimes you don't need that pressure of or, or having it feel like people are telling you what to do. And that's where a doula can provide space for you to come to your own decisions and conclusions and provide you with information to help you make informed choices about whatever it is you're trying to decide upon, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's good to have someone be able to sit with you in your feelings too and not try to fix anything. Because I find, well, I have found personally when it comes to, um, say, my husband and I, like we've got a really good way of communicating. There have been times, especially when the babies were little, where I think it's a male thing to want to fix everything, you know. Um, you could come to them with a problem and then they want a solution or to provide you with a solution, but sometimes all you need in that space is, to someone, is for someone to sit with you in that feeling and to not have to fix anything, not do anything, maybe not even say anything, but maybe bring you a cup of tea, <laughs> you know, so you can sit there and really process what's going on and integrate what you've learned in your experience, whatever that experience is, back into your life. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's one way a doula can help. I think, too, partners, not always, but sometimes in the birth space and in the postpartum space, aren't really sure what their role is. Mm. So, you know, the babies come out of the person that's just had the baby. So, you know, they're doing their physical healing and their healing is like something you can see or not all of the healing. I mean, like the physical side of it is something that's like actually happening. Whereas, you know, um, re- the reorganisation of the family and um, trying to figure out where you fit and where the baby fits and all that sort of stuff in the, like, um, the feeling and emotional side of things isn't quite as tangible and it's not something you can really measure. Does that? Does this make any sense? Am I Absolutely. making sense? I hope yeah. I'm making sense. Um, yeah. So a doula can kind of help the reconfiguration of the family and help partners find their their feet, so they can help the birthing person heal in a in a more whole way. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's really well said. And I feel like also. Yeah, it's perfect what you summed up, that the doula comes in and sort of holds that space and to assist the mother primarily to get in touch with her own internal wisdom that's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do in the early days because you need to make lots of mistakes and try lots of things out and question yourself mm-hmm. and the doubts are natural. But to even have someone there to tell you that that's really good that you're having doubts and that you're questioning because that shows that you're really weighing up the whole situation and exploring mm-hmm. your options and, and thinking about that and experimenting with what works for you as a parent, as a mother in a safe way. And just to have yeah. someone to say, yeah, that is good, that is natural, this is how you're going to grow into motherhood and parenthood. Yeah. And for any extend, extended family partner, father, grandparents, to see a person hold space for the mother and hold space for the family then sort of models to them and brings that sort of culture and energy into that space. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I totally I understand where you coming from. It's something we've forgotten how to do because mm. how often do you come to anybody with a problem and they're like, all right, you've got to do this, this and this and you'll be fine. And that's not necessarily what you want to hear. You just want to like get it out know that you've been heard and you've been seen in what you're trying to convey and then go, okay, I'm done now. Like that's all, I just needed to get it out. Yeah. And it's, yeah, something that as the receiver of um, those sorts of things that, yeah, you don't always, you don't always just sit with it and let the person speak. Yeah. We kind of, I remember I saw something on Facebook the other day, something about how we, um, we don't, something about how we, I don't know the exact wording, we don't listen to hear, we listen to respond or something like that. Like yes. we're kind of presenting yeah. the conversation so it flows, but you're not really taking in and sitting with what the other person has said. 
So that's a, a soft skill that's very important as a doula. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes the answers will come from that. Sometimes just being heard yeah. and being able to express yourself with absolutely no judgment, just complete mm-hmm. understanding. Sometimes the answers will just come or at least some a sense of peace will come because you've been heard yeah. and you'll be able to find the answers later or feel a little bit more confident and free to explore what the answer might be. Whereas mm. if someone's always fixing and telling you, giving you um, the answers or ideas or advice, then it's really hard to tune into your own knowing and tune into your own wisdom in that way because you're always getting it from the outside. So it's not developing that intuition, which is really just a data set of experiences, isn't actually developing so I would love for you to just give for anyone out there who's maybe heard the word or not heard about doulas, a little bit of a rundown of what you, I'm going to do this backwards. I'm going to start with the postpartum and then go to the birth. Okay. <laughs> oh, we yeah. have to just run, wait there, <coughs> cough. <coughs> to cut this out. Um, oh, we could just start with the whole thing actually, because you're a birth and postpartum doula. So if someone came to you and was interested in your full package, birth and postpartum, and then um, they could also, if I've got this correct, they could just get your postpartum. So it's either the full birth and postpartum or postpartum. Um, What would they, how does it play out? What could they expect um, from first contact through to your visits? Cool. So, Every client's different. So I have like a general workflow, but it's not like a one size fits all for every family or every individual. So right in saying with me, I'll do birth and postpartum or postpartum. I won't just do a birth because yes, birth is super important, but it's not, it's not the end. Like you're not just pregnant and then you have the baby and that's it. Like you have to go through a healing process afterwards and I would hate to serve someone in their birth to then have them feel abandoned afterwards in that vulnerable state, you know? So, um, yes. Anyway, so first contact, someone contacts me, we meet up and make sure we're a good fit because as much as the person's inquired and they're interviewing me as a doula, I'm also interviewing, (coughs) sorry, (coughs) I'm also interviewing them as a, potential client because I want that relationship to be um, a strong one. And, you know, you're in an intimate space with them when they're in labor, when they're in birth, in the postpartum, like you want it to be a natural kind of relationship. You don't want anything to feel forced or it to feel artificial because then that kind of, it kind of goes against everything you want to be feeling in those early days. You don't want some stranger in there with you, when you're having your baby and you don't want some weirdo in your house, you know, afterwards when you brought baby home, you want to be comfortable. So yeah, that goes both ways. Um, Then I usually do, depends on whether or not um, someone's got me just for postpartum or for the birth as well. I normally do two or three meetups beforehand to go through um, birth planning or preferences, as I prefer to say. postpartum planning, um, likes and dislikes in terms of food, um, other things like um, triggers around the house. Like if someone's home, just say they've had a C-section and they the dishes are something that really give them the cranks. If the dishes aren't done, they can't relax. You know, going through those sorts of things and writing a list of things that can really help them be able to just to do nothing. Because that's a really hard space for anyone to be in these days when we've always got to be like doing, doing, doing. If you can just kind of lay it out in terms of what are the things that really get to you in the home, then I can come in and as long as it's not like fixing your retaining wall or mowing your lawns, (laughs) (laughs) then then I can help you out with that. Um, So they're the, yeah, meetups beforehand for various things and I'm contactable basically all the way through from when you sign your contract to when our postpartum time is over. Um, so you can text, phone, email anytime. I go on call from 37 weeks and then I attend the birth and whether that's a C-section or a vaginal birth, it just depends on what the client wants. 
and um, the support team just say they're having a Caesar. If the hospital allows an extra person in there, then I'm that I can go into. Otherwise, I wait at the hospital. Um, then baby's here. I come for a visit in the hospital and drop off some food and um, warming drinks and treats. So you're not just eating gross hospital food. Sorry, um, New South Wales Health Department. The food at the hospital is not that great. <laughs> You'd like to consult with Rachel and I. You yeah, know, well, that would be, be a good thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I drop off some food at the hospital and then usually, depending on what day you come home, then I'll start postpartum visits the following week. So... What I offer are visits of four hours each. Um, it's usually one visit a week for six weeks, but you can do two visits over three weeks. It's kind of customizable for the family that I'm working with. Um, so yeah, like that's kind of a general workflow, I guess you'd call it. Mm. Um, yeah. Then after our time is up, during like after the postpartum periods up, I mean, well. Even terming, like saying that, I think once you have a baby, we've talked about this before, you postpartum forever. Yeah. So once our like... Early once postpartum. Had, yeah, I guess you could call it that. Once you've had your six weeks, your first six weeks, that's kind of where I leave the family. I, like, like Julia says, you want to work yourself out of a job and that's what I'm hoping I do in that kind of space. Yeah. Yeah. Is Wonderful. that kind of... Yeah, I think that would give people a clear idea of what to <laughs> yeah. expect and how a doula would be in their life. So a lot of people might not even mm. understand what that is. And while, like, we often talk about, well, back in the day, it would have been like this, the mums, the mothers-in-laws, um, aunties, the sisters would have been doing it. And to a certain degree, and in lots of cultures, that's really true. But there's also a long history of doulas. So yeah, yeah. in the Celtic Isles, British Isles, and that um, sort of part of the world, it was called a handy woman who would come in after the birth and cook and clean and help out and wrap the belly and and um, do lots of things like that and support with breastfeeding. Um, and in Malaysia, it's actually a really common career is to be, mm. I'm not sure what they call it, like a postpartum helper, nurse person, a doula, postpartum doula. <laughs> Is it a confinement nurse? Maybe it is. Yeah, and I'm yeah. sure there's a Malaysian name, but maybe it is a confinement mm. nurse. Um, and then in China, it's the same. There's month-long hospitals for sitting the moon or the golden month. So this somewhat is like a new concept. There's probably people out there listening going, oh, wow, that sounds so luxurious. Mm. But up until recently we all had it, like it was just a given yeah. whether you had extra help outside the family or it was all within the family, it was there. And while doulas yeah. are sort of giving in a modern twist, doulas have always been around to a certain degree as well. Yeah. Or midwives would have fulfilled that role. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's completely not a new concept at all. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's interesting as I have conversations and I think it's, quite significant and metaphorical for how women um, regard self-care <laughs> and, yes. and regard their own healing is when I'm talking to people, it just, they're like, oh, that sounds fantastic and lovely and, oh, my God, I really needed that or I wish I knew about that when I had a baby, but I don't know if I would have done it because, you know, everyone else is just surviving. Everyone else is just coming home with their babies and not getting that support. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost deemed as a bit of a weakness that if you need extra support or if mm. you say you needed extra support or that you found it hard, and that's slowly changing the conversation. But then on the flip side of that, and people know that have listened to my podcast, I'm always banging on about postpartum mental health. Like we've got a serious epidemic here in Australia and lots of other countries like the US and the UK. So people aren't surviving. They might be grinning and burying it and mm. pretending but in reality when we look at the stats people aren't doing well or they're just surviving if they're lucky and they're not thriving and really like at the core of community and social health <coughs> so we both got coughs change of season um 
we need healthy mothers to have healthy children because mm-hmm. we know so much about that early childhood development and that modeling that goes on from day dot for babies and young children, how they see their mother. And so if mom's relaxed and happy and thriving and well, then she's going to, the, the child's just going to pick up on that and she's going to be able to breastfeed well if that's what she wants to do. And she's going to recover well and be healthy in five, ten years as well because parenthood doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So central to that care. And I just, you know, I see people paying lots of money for weddings and I think that's wonderful, but investing in that really special time to create really good health foundations, emotional health foundations is so important. So I guess I know you're on the same page and I just feel like it's about changing the culture now and making it okay for women to accept help. Yeah. And that's the thing. We don't have to, we don't have to be struggling. Like we don't have to just survive. And like, I wouldn't wish that upon my kids to just survive. Like I, why would you want to model, like you were saying, why would you want to model that behavior for your kids to see you just like pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and just getting on with life. And I know that's how things have been done in our recent history, but yeah, it hasn't always been that way. And I just don't know why you'd want to, if you knew there was a better way, why would you not take advantage of that? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I know I think everybody in the like postpartum doula world thinks this way, like you heal the birthing person, heal the mother and you heal the world. Like you can think how much we could change if in just say this gen, like the next generation, everyone having babies had a postpartum doula. Yeah. Like think how happy everybody would be, or I'd hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) And you know, it's more than just looking after the mum. Like, that's a huge, huge aspect yeah. and has, like, massive repercussions. But there's also the village building behind it. All you totally. have to do is look to social media. And I'm sure it was like this before social media. Like, people go baby crazy. Yeah, it's all about the baby. Yeah. So you can post something up about, like, this really terrible human atrocity or an environmental crisis on Facebook or social media and you might get five responses but you put a photo of a baby and everyone is there like it's just like bang 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 because there's something central to our core and our being that celebrates new life and that brings us Mm -hmm. hope and it brings us connection and it taps us into our nurturing and our loving aspects of our being as a human so by having really good postpartum care culture it's just like weaving those threads of culture so strongly in that time, bringing new life into the world. So it's such a really great window of time, not only for the mother, which lots, lots of cultures go into that philosophy, but it's a window of time for the community to come together yes. and just yeah. by being able to come over and help and connect in somewhat nonverbal ways or cook a meal or give a shoulder rub, those threads of community are just going to become so much stronger. So everyone benefits from it. And totally. Th- Dads, there's so much pressure on the dads as well in a different way. It's definitely a very different type of reality for the dads. You know, they get to go back to work and have their lunch breaks and adult conversations or whatever. But if the dads can have more time at home and have less pressure to have to Mm. just leave the family again, then that long-term relationship and family unit is going to be a lot stronger as well. So we're going to have happy relationships as well. And that is also happier kids. And I think too, we all, we hear a lot about how as a mum, you can't be everything for everyone, you know, but the same goes for dads too. So it's, I think they are under so much pressure to go back to work straight away as well, because, you know, it's expensive, life's expensive, especially like we're lucky living in Australia and, you know, we have so many opportunities but it's still, it's such a, like being the, I'm doing inverted commas here, I know listeners can't see, but you know, being the, the, um, the pillar or the man of the family mm. is a huge role. And there's still that, um, oh, what's the word? There's still that, um, I guess it's just idea that even though things are, like things are changing, but there's still that kind of idea that just won't go away 
that the man is the primary breadwinner, right? And that's so deeply ingrained in some men that it's hard for them to be able to give themselves permission to stay at home and help their partners and their family, even though they are helping in a different way. It's just like a monetary way. Mm. They're doing what they think is the right thing. And it's kind of, I don't know, I feel like this is where doulas can come in and give them permission as well to kind of tap into that, um, I don't know, their, their nurturing side, not their, like, do, their doing side. Does this make any sense? Absolutely. Yeah, so if you had a doula coming around a few times a week, so often the man will go into, like, protector mode and exactly. do, yeah. and that's really helpful and really good and I think an important aspect of that postpartum care, but there also needs to be time for dad to soften and totally. to rest and be able to relax and hold baby or have some skin to skin or just put rock bubba to sleep or if there's bottles to feed a bottle, whatever's working for that family. But that connection and, you know, it's been proven now that when dads have that close connection, that physical contact and touch with baby, that they are also releasing oxytocin, the love and bonding hormone. But it's full-time job having a baby between feeds and babies and and cleaning and cooking and and if there's other kids around that it can be hard for the dad to find time or the mum let alone the dad who probably feels like they need to pick up a bit more when they're not at work so a doula that moment when the window when the doula comes in is time also for dad just to go okay Doula's got this for a minute. Doula's going to do some food. Doula's going to sweep the floor, hang out the washing, whatever. Um, Doula's going to look after mum, make some tea, give her a foot rub, whatever it is. And I can just sit and be with baby or I can sit and be with my partner for a minute and just slow down yeah. and connect, whether that's verbally or just being in each other's space um, and let go of that just surviving <laughs> mode. Yeah. And, and and debrief too, like the debriefing is a massive aspect after birth and as you enter into that transition into parenthood. Totally. And that's the thing, like birth is happening, even though physically the birth is happening to the birthing person, the partner, if there is one, is witnessing it as well. And if there's been a trauma, just say that birth is traumatic, which, you know, it does happen, the partner's bad, bad witness to that as well. So they've got to integrate that into their experience and then move forward so it's they've they've been in that space too you know so it is holding space as a doula for everyone in the family you're totally right yeah and sometimes the trauma there's cases where the trauma it wasn't the birth wasn't traumatic for mum but was actually traumatic for dad because he was yeah totally yeah um but either way also like you know i you know i know other new parents know often you're sitting there going oh with your partner is this normal or should that be happening mm-hmm. or I wonder about this and you're sort of there like two <laughs> young spring chickens sort of working out how to flap your wings together but if you've got a doula coming in a, once or twice a week you can go oh that question and just shoot a few questions at the doula and there's someone else to bounce off and and exactly. if need say things like oh well, no it looks like it's all fine perfect okay you can relax on that or Maybe we'll just watch this and maybe we'll refer to a lactation consultant and the parents will be like, I didn't even know there was a lactation consultant and those sorts of things, troubleshooting that, you know, this is a normal sleep pattern and it's normal to feel this way and it's normal for your partner to feel that way. Just someone outside that you can get advice from and um, Mm -hmm. or that can come and reassure you that you are doing the right thing. Yeah. So... Also, I'd love to hear about how the Dynamo Doula training is going for you with Angela it's Gallo. Really, yeah, it's really good. It's eye-opening. Um, there's so much information. It is such a rich course. Um, yeah, and it's, it's a commitment. Like there's a lot to get through, so it's, um, I'm just chipping away. <laughs> um, but I'm really, really glad that I invested and signed up for it. Um, yeah, what did, what did, what would you like to know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, um, I guess Angela Galloway, like she has sort of risen to doula fame quite a yeah. bit, which is, is very dynamic. So it's such a, 
a perfect name for her doula training, but it's really unique as well. Like she's pushing yes. some boundary, boundaries and she's looking to change the paradigm quite a bit um, yeah. from conventional doula training. Not to say this is not saying one doula training is better or worse, but um, just to observe that in the Angela Gallo Dynamo doula training. So, yeah, just I guess how has that been? Have you had your boundaries pushed? Um, what are some key things that you, at the moment that are present for you that are really like paradigm shifting or maybe it was already there for you and it's just integrated? I think it, yeah, I think it was already there, but it's kind of one thing I tell this, it is obviously related to doula work, but one thing that it's really helping me with is seeing my own value. Cause it's, I know when I first did my postpartum doula training, I think we had this conversation where I was saying how I don't think I can charge money for what I do. I should just do it anyway because it's human nature and we need to help each other. But then at the same time, I have a family and I need to feed my kids too. So it's just coming to terms with the fact that I am worth charging what I charge for a service that I provide. And that's where Angela puts it in such a, um, an easily digestible way and I've just gone, I've just clicked. I've gone, yeah, no, she's totally right. Where I can't just give everything out for free, you know. Mm. Um, that's on a personal level, I guess, that I've kind of realised that I am worth something. And I think that's something that a lot of women struggle with is, um, is money and realising that we do have value and worth even though the way we might do things is not necessarily um, fitting with the current like masculine dominated paradigm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And that mindset around you as a person and you as a doula and the gifts and service you have to offer the world is worth something. And that doesn't mean you might not help out a friend here and there and cook a meal or whatever, but your full service and your package is a huge investment of your time and energy as a mother outside of the home, your work outside of the family. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's just as valuable as any other career. Yeah. If not more. That's a, that's a personal, yeah, that's a personal takeaway from the course. And I mean, there's all the practical things as well. And, um, you're learning the whole, um, physiology of pregnancy and birth, all of that. It's so full of information. There's so many guest speakers and that sort of thing in there too, with lots of, um, webinars and tutorials and things so it's just so rich there's so much in there and at the same time as doing um the dynamo doula training i'm revisiting mentorship that i did with birdsong brooklyn oh yeah um, yeah i moved house in the middle of mentorship which was running over um our summer which is their winter because they're in the northern hemisphere and um i missed a few weeks yeah because we moved house and life happened but i'm revisiting that and i'm finding little gems that I missed the first time around that are also connecting with Angela's training as well. Mm. So yeah, well, Angela was a luminary in Birdsong's mentorship program as well. Oh, so they, right. everything's connected. Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's just so much, well, so much. It's <laughs> an exciting time integrating lots of new information and skills and, and just, you know, you've gone out there and you're already out there. You've got a birth, like, on call right now, which is just awesome. Yeah. It's amazing. It's all well, happening. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like anyone to know out there, maybe expecting mums or parents if they're thinking about getting a doula, um, how, just to reach out and explore maybe those options and see how it feels? Or Yeah, and... Um, I think any doula, well, maybe not any doula, but most doulas are open to um, flexibility and working with the family and kind of tailoring their services to what that family needs. So if you know a doula or you've like been thinking about it, just reach out to them and ask because there's no harm in asking. The worst thing they can do is say no. <laughs> like same goes with everything in life. You can always ask. Mm. Um, and, I mean, there's no shame in asking for help either. So whether, or you're, whether you're pregnant and expecting a baby and you're thinking about your postpartum or you're already in it and you say your baby's six weeks old and you're realising that things are hard, you can still reach out for a doula. I mean, anyone can have a doula for anything really if you think about it. But um, 
I guess it's just, yeah, not being, not feeling shameful about asking for help if you need it and realising that in the time we live in, in the way in which we live, sometimes our village building is paying for a service. So same with daycare, um, you know, doctors. We don't have doctors coming over with their little doctor bag anymore kind of thing, you know, and um, doulas are the same. Like we do have to invest in ourselves and um, sometimes pay for our village. Yeah. So there's no, there's no shame in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's an investment and that it's normal to feel like it's hard in the beginning. Oh, yeah, it's totally, so, I wish I knew that it was normal, you yeah. know. <laughs> there's so many, I feel like there's so many mums around the world right now, they'll be on their phone Googling, is this normal? Is such and such normal? Am I supposed to feel shit when I'm in my postpartum? And there are times when you feel shit. Like yeah. that's just, that's the truth. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad mom because you don't feel great about everything. It just means you're human mm. and yeah. you're allowed to feel your feelings no matter what they are. And if you need to reach out for help, there's, there's no shame in doing that. Yeah. In fact, you should do that. That's yes, exactly. You should do because yeah, you're not alone. Most moms are going to feel that. Most parents are going to feel that at some stage and, and um, yeah, it's totally normal, but it shouldn't, remain normal we need to change the idea that exactly. it's normal and get to a place where we preempt that we know that without that support you're going to feel really shit <laughs> it's not saying that having a jewel is going to make you never have emotional ups and downs but it's going to soften that and create a container for that or other support networks it could be some other type of support networks so yeah shifting that idea that you just have to suffer through it yeah so um, sort of like a complete aside to tack on to the end because Rachel and I are like ancestral lineage geeks. <laughs> I put this on my Instagram post the other day and we both like gain, we're both really interested in how our ancestral lineage kind of informs us or like how having our lost broken generational cycles has affected us as well and trying to reweave some sort of connection to that. We both also don't know a lot about our ancestral lineage but are looking into it. Mm -hmm. But I'd love for you to share a little bit about like how not knowing and how finding out about your ancestral lineage has informed you on a personal level like you mentioned that you have like a bush midwife ancestor possibly and yeah well funny you should ask all this because just before our call I, I had planned today to kind of have a little rest in the middle of the day and but I got stuck on ancestry.com because <laughs> I found another another missing piece I kind of I've realized now that everything for me kind of goes in cycles and I do get a little bit obsessed about different topics right and it kind of it's predictable where I go and at the moment I'm back on ancestry <laughs> and <laughs> you're not alone I have waves as well <laughs> and then I let you it reckon, go for a while you reckon it's because it's nearly so that things are Maybe. like the veil is thin and you know the ancestors are speaking but um yeah I've just like uncovered some little things over the last few days which is quite exciting and um I find it really interesting. I was actually listening to Amber Magnolia Hill's podcast, Medicine Stories, in the car on the way home. And the episode was, I'll just find it because it should be right here on my phone. It was the episode 38. And I'll just bring up the title of it. Where is it? Um, so where are you? Um, Medicine Stories is a podcast from yeah, Amber Magnolia Hill in the US. And um, she has a strong theme of ancestral lineage and plant medicine and yeah that's partly inspired me to start talking about it more on podcasts even though it's something that i've been exploring on my own for years long before um i discovered her podcast or even became a postpartum doula but um i could feel the links and see the links and then mm. listening to her podcast it sort of reflects that back and like oh yeah <laughs> yeah well her podcast was actually one that i found when I was starting my doula journey. Ah, and you recommended it to me. I found it through you. Yeah, and she's just, all of her episodes are about completely different topics, but they're all, there's those threads that just, it's all connected in a way. And this episode I was listening to, it's episode 38. It's called Healing Our Indigenous, Our Indigenous European Ancestors with Lila June. 
and it's just go and listen to it. You should go and listen to it after this. I think I have. I think I oh, have. have? I've to a few, yeah. But um, just, yes, seeing the threads in my work and my life and just noticing even something like um, I myself have lived all over Australia and I was born in Sydney, lived out in the country New South Wales, moved all the way over to Western Australia, went up to the, like, northern WA, lived in Perth, moved to Melbourne, back in um, New South Wales now. So I've been all over. And looking back through my family history, my ancestors did the same thing. Like the same they did the towns same, and cities. The same travelling. And I didn't know that until I started looking back into things. And to see my great-grandmother was actually born what, about an hour away from here, which in, that's, that's not that far in country driving terms. You know, that's yeah, in just Australia, down that's very close. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're an hour away and, and I still see that as close, so. Yeah, and, you know, seeing that, um, yeah, an ancestor of mine was a bush midwife up here and would travel around and deliver babies and I thought that was amazing and I found that out after I'd done my doula training. And um, I've just recently found out that my, there's a block in my family tree and I, couldn't find any information about my, um, let me think about which side it's on. So it's on my mother's side of the family, my great grandmother's mother's family. So it's going quite back quite a way. And I've now had a, a breakthrough. I feel like when I'm trying to do this research, I sit and I think, come on, show me something, show me something. And then something appears. And I've now found out that that side of the family are all from Devon in the UK and that my great my third great grandfather was a um a member of the is it uh, let me get this right the united ancient order of druids which is similar to like the the freemasons it, like that sort of yes. a group but yeah. um just to think that i've got that sort of thing in the family is quite cool yeah yeah so, and then i was exploring you know like the history of devon and um famous foods from devon and i didn't realize you know apples and like um custard like egg custard all that sort of thing which I have been trying to cook more not realizing that it's kind of in my blood (laughs) are in my family history which I think is amazing and trying to think about things in terms of like healing foods that come from your own Mm. ancestral lineages I think are important so we're not culturally appropriating from other things or from other cultures you know yeah because while we still have our own strong cultural links yeah, we can appreciate other cultures, but not totally completely forsake what our own culture is. Yeah, yeah we've both got the egg custard connection. I love egg custard. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I remember the egg custard that you made. I just, mm, I really feel like it right now. I just bought some eggs. I've got a lot of eggs. I need to make some egg custard because I've got a lot of eggs. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and How it's just amazing. Like so the ancient water yeah. of something druids. What does that mean? So that's a really, that was like back in the 1800s, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So um, fascinating in a time where Christianity really dominated. And even doing research as to where my great-great-grandfather is buried. So he's buried in St Kilda Cemetery. And um, my understanding of cemeteries, not that I know much about them, is that back in the day, especially, I don't know if it's still like this now, but people's graves are kind of segregated by religion. They are And he's in... And he's in an independent section, which I think is quite cool. I'm like, what does that even mean when I've been told my whole life that that side of the family was super Catholic? And I'm like, well, were they? Wow. <laughs> well, really interesting. And I've always had this kind of, I've always been drawn to that sort of thing, like mm. druidry, pagan stuff. Like, mm. yeah, I've been drawn to that. And now I've actually found in another side of the family a really strong Irish connection. So it's just, yeah, like... Same with you, the whole Celtic roots. Yes. It's really interesting realising that there's so much more history than than I can even fathom. There's yeah. so much more. And how the ancestors can speak through us. And this can sound a bit woo-woo to some people, but also just like on a really practical level, like if people want to break it down to science, like there's epigenetic memory and there are things that are passed down. And it is really amazing. After you said that, after you said um that you realised that your ancestors had travelled to different towns in Australia that were similar to yours. I looked back on my dad's side, which is a bit of a block. I've Yeah, I can't get too far back there. But um, it's the same thing. There was all these similarities. They'd been to WA, like I had. They'd been to Melbourne, like I had. 
and they'd been around like the northern New South Wales area. So there was all, and I was like, oh, yeah, wow, that's interesting. And I hadn't even thought of it like that. So, yeah, it's so fascinating and it makes you feel a little bit more connected to your ancestral line. And I feel like when there is that connection there and hopefully we can rebuild that and some cultures still have that, there's a sense of strength and support behind you that your ancestors have, you know, you have some sort of connection to how you got to where you are and then what you're handing over to future generations, your own children and then into the future when you understand where you've come from, where you are and where you're going. And when it's broken or there's a huge kind of rift in that ancestral line, there's more and more of us that looks like we're looking for this. We have this desire to reweave that connection so that we can move forward and hand over Mm. really well and in a strong way with strong cultural connections in a modern way, obviously. We're merging as cultures merge. But, um, yeah, I love that you're into, like, also looking at the foods that come from Mm. your own lineage because stews, like, I'm all about the stews and they can seem really boring but they, like, totally come into their own in postpartum care. So I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then, like, I love putting nutritional yeast in for my gravies and stuff and that's a really an English thing to do and probably other parts of the world too. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then the egg custard as well. I was like, oh, it all makes sense. I'm actually living out. And all of the herbs I work with and when I'm working with them, I'm living out something that my ancestors have done for generations. Totally. And think about with your herbal stuff, that's how humans survived. Like, so it's been thousands of years of all these of herbal knowledge that people like you are preserving and passing on to the next generation. So it's something that we can't lose, you know? Yeah, as well as the foods as well, just to like, yeah, even think. Yeah. Like I was talking to my grandmother and trying to find out what foods she ate. And as she's talking, first of all, she couldn't remember she grew up quite poor in Balmain, but um, she was saying they had lots of stews and they would put barley in and this and that. And I was like, oh, my God, that's what I cook all the time. And the egg yeah. custard, she spoke about the egg custard. But she spoke about um, her mother. So she's one of nine and her mother had um, quite a few home births for her last births. She's not sure about the early ones. And so my nan, who's one of the eldest, remembers when her mother, my great-grandmother, was having her later babies, the midwife rocking up in horse and cart, tying the horse and cart to the neighbor's fence, coming in at night, just jumping into bed with my great-grandmother and kind of sleeping with her and watching her a bit through the night and then waking up and delivering the baby. <laughs> and that's Imagine like, that. Yeah. Imagine that now if a midwife jumped in bed with someone, they'd be all over the news and they, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. And my, this is my grandmother's memory. And then she was like, yeah, and my grandma, great-grandmother, her mother, just stayed in bed for two weeks. She's like, oh, yeah, and she just stayed in bed with the baby and we all went around the house. And that's, that's so, only that's my great-grandmother's generation. She couldn't remember yeah. any particular meals, but it sounds like a lot of the meals were sort of postpartum health meals anyway, bone broths and stews. Yeah. I can imagine it being like one pot meals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they can feed, obviously, the mother, but then the whole family. Yes. Yeah. It's like big family, eventually nine kids. Mm. Yeah. Which on that side it looks like now, oh, so there was always rumour. So the youngest, my nan's youngest sister, when I asked her what she could remember because she lived with my great-grandmother for the longest, she said, oh, there was always rumour that um, Nana Ivy, <laughs> little Ivy, she was really little, um, said that she was, there was a Romani gypsy connection and everyone sort of just kind of went, oh, yeah, and didn't think of it much because it wasn't really, like, it was looked down upon if you weren't just white English. Even if you were Irish, it was sort of looked down. I've got a strong Irish connection on my dad's side. Um and so then I started looking into it more recently. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember auntie saying that. And then looking into how you find out because obviously the records weren't there and it wasn't someone something that someone always wanted to say on their census. And there's certain names that were only used by gypsy families, Romani gypsy families, and they weren't used by any of the other English people because the gypsies were looked at as lower class. And then there were certain careers and there were certain areas that they lived and they would often move around a lot. So, yeah, I found a lineage where there's um, 
a family member called Trithena and there's some other unusual names there and that was one of the top 15 gypsy names, common gypsy names. And um, the last name was Blacktop, which probably was akin to the Blacktop hats. And then there was other last names in there that were in some of the gypsy family trees that are known of. So I was like, oh, I found that there. And that makes so much sense. Like when I was younger and like a young sort of um, hippie in my van traveling around, I was always like, oh, I just want one of those old gypsy vans. And I had this diary, gypsy spirit. And, and I know that like it's akin to the new age, you know, the American Indian wisdom and all that sort of thing. But I really have felt that. I've felt some sort of gypsy blood as yeah. far as like being crafty and moving around and shifting and being um, kind of free in a sense, that freedom that would come. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to have that confirmed because I also, but I also feel very strongly connected to the Irish and Scottish sort of farmer lineages as well. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. It's cool that you, I can see all that coming together. Like it's all, yeah, it's yeah, awesome. It's fascinating. And yeah. also to talk to my nan about it now because her, she was sort of fairly olive skin and then my, her mother, my great grandmother I talked about was quite dark and then her, my grandmother's grandmother was really dark um, and it was sort of like a hidden thing. They didn't really know why and I wanted to talk about it. And so now it's okay to talk about it because we live in we're not, it's not perfect we have a long way to go with equality and a long way to go with dissolving white privilege but it's much more accepted now to be able to go oh yeah my mother was quite dark-skinned and it was probably this sort of lineage and so to be able to give that gift to my grandmother and her sisters to be able to talk about that openly and to be proud about mm -hmm. that as well as the whiter English side of their lineage that feels really good too mm. So I'm so excited to learn more about your Druid great-great-grandfather. I'm going to be looking for that. Lots of researching and lots of Googling and, like, yeah, it's quite cool. And it's cool for me to just have had a breakthrough because I've been stuck on that portion of the family because no one knows anything about them. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the story was that my great-great-grandmother married, was, was from a Catholic family and married out of the Catholic church. So she was shunned and that's the story everybody knows. And now I'm finding some skeletons in the closet. That's proving that not to be true. <laughs> yes. Or that she was from a Catholic family and she did marry someone outside of the Catholic church, but not into say the Protestants or something where you're just mixing two different, mm. um, Christian type, I've forgotten the word <laughs> when that lineage, that lineage of religions it's actually really outside and that's why she was shunned. Yeah, so it's, it's oh. interesting putting pieces together and, like, yeah, it's, I just find it so interesting. And time is such a weird thing too, just thinking about the concept of time, not to get too deep. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just noticing similar patterns and trying to realise where, where repair needs to be done, you know? Yes, yep. Yeah, so that's it's interesting. It is, yeah. Thanks so much. I'm glad we got to weave in some of the ancestral stuff because me too. You know, we're both so fascinated by it, and it could seem really obscure, but also does inform um, our doula practice as well. Because a lot of the doula practices, postpartum traditional care practices, are inspired from. Um, cultures outside of my own genetic culture, um, such as Southeast Asian or Middle Eastern or Central American. And I'm quite comfortable with gaining inspiration and learning from those cultures, but also I would feel a little sad if I didn't honour my own culture in there too mm. and weave that in. Yeah, and it's that's where for me I think like looking back at family history and realizing how people didn't really, apart from like the big migrations and people like some of my family coming over to Australia from the UK, all of that stuff. When people were settled in places, whether that's <clears throat> here or in the UK, wherever they didn't really move around a lot. So families did stay close to each other and supported each other through major life thresholds like births and communities were quite small and close knit. And that's where that, I think that's a way that as doulas, building community also is paying respect to our own lineages as well. Mm. And that's where, like, I think it's great that you're doing Rochelle's course yes. in eight traditions. So, um, yeah, next month, we yeah. start next month 
in a month. Yeah, I think her, like the framework she's got set out and the community aspect, I think is amazing. Yeah, so. I'm excited about that. Yeah. yeah, and she's really strong about how we are all Indigenous to somewhere and really connecting mm. to that while at the same time acknowledging current disparity um totally. yeah and weaving that in yeah and i think food's such a beautiful way to honor mm-hmm. different cultures as well it's something that is not really there's kind of a little bit more scope away from appropriation because we all eat fairly globally now but it's also a way to yeah. to share and exchange and and i really like the idea that i could go into a family that had maybe um immigrated to australia from somewhere where there was a strong postpartum care culture like india or china and but they don't have that here and i could go in and i could learn their postpartum dishes for them and yeah. offer that for them to keep their own a, cultural lineage going as well totally and that's what a gift that is mm. you know that's a huge gift to someone yeah yeah and then they can pass that on to their kids so that knowledge isn't lost because if all it takes is one generation to not have that meal cooked for them or that practice yeah. done and it's forgotten it's a whisper totally. and it's gone so, yeah yeah thanks so much for coming on today <laughs> doing thanks our for having me. <laughs> we could just talk forever i think <laughs> yeah when rachel and i catch up because it doesn't happen as often as maybe we would like it's usually a full day kids running around yeah. <laughs> morning <laughs> to afternoon <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> we just recorded a small snippet of it without the kids. <laughs> we had a conversation yeah, it's without it's the a rare moment where we both don't have our kids with us, so yes. we had to yeah, make the most of it. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a beautiful day, and I'll pop some links up for people where to find you because you've also um, you're on the mid north coast of New South Wales, and you've got a really cool thing happening called the Rad Mums Club, which is online and in person. So I'll post about that. And I'll pop your email links up if anyone's got questions or just wants to reach out and connect. I think you're having a break from Instagram, but you're out there on social media on Facebook and you're still there on Instagram. Yeah, I'm still around. I'm just not checking it every day. So if someone was to message me, you'll just have to wait till I get back to you on Instagram or um, email and Facebook I'm still on. It's just a little break, not a complete social media break, but just trying to, yeah. Limit my yeah yeah that's I think it's so great thank you thanks for having me thank you thanks so much for tuning in and listening today I really hope there was something there for you please feel free to head on over to Instagram and Facebook pages Pollination Mamas and leave your thoughts ideas inspirations feedback. I'd also really love for this to partly be a collaborative experience for all of you out there listening and to hear what topics, uh, ideas for guest speakers that you might have. And also, if you feel to, I would really appreciate if you head on over to iTunes, Anchor FM and the other platforms and left a review for the Pollination Mamas podcast. This helps for the podcast to be seen more and to get the word out there of these topics that we're all discussing to a larger audience. I found podcasts so helpful to feel a bit more connected to ideas that I didn't realize were um, so common amongst us all so yeah also feel free to share with anyone out there that you feel may gain something from this i also have a sign up on my website pollinationmamas.com where i send out approximately a monthly mail out with latest podcasts sales on my small batch largely homegrown herbal products latest workshops and other thoughts and ideas that i might pop up on the blog occasionally So thanks again for tuning in and hope to have you listening again soon. Have a wonderful day. Bye.